Well, uh, good evening, everybody. It is so good to see all of you, and especially those of you who are our guests. If you've been visiting us this week or last week, we really want to thank you for making us part of your Sunday, and really hope that you feel at home. Uh, we've been on a series this last month entitled Facing Giants. Um, I, I don't know if you're anything like me, but, but many times I find when I pray and ask God for things, I tend to ask him to fix the symptoms of my problems. Fix her, fix him, fix them, fix them right now. And there's really nothing wrong with praying that God fixes your uh, symptoms if you are willing for God to graciously and patiently lead you towards discovering the cause of your problem. And, and when you finally find the cause of your problem, that's the moment that you come face to face with your giant. You see, your giant is not the amount of debt that you have. Your giant is how you got the amount of debt that you have. Your giant is not how bad your marriage is. Your giant is how you got to a broken marriage. But here's the good news. When you find your giant, it is at that place, that moment, that God promises to give you the abundance of grace that allows you to overcome your giants. And we're looking at four giants. We looked at the first week, the look good giant. Second week was the feel good giant. Third week was the be right giant. We're going to close off today by looking at the be in control giant. Mm-mm-mm, says Greg. <laughs> be in control giant. Jesus says something interesting to his boys, his disciples uh, in the Gospels. His disciples had been following him for a while. And at this point, his disciples had come to realize that, man, to, to follow Jesus is actually going to come at a cost. And Jesus says something, and it's a one-liner in the middle of a whole kind of teach sermon. And here's what he says. He, he says this. He says, whoever, Matthew 10, verse 39, whoever finds life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. You see how the kingdom works? In the kingdom, if you find life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life, you'll find it. And here's what it means. I know in the beginning kind of sounds weird, sounds like Jesus was having a bit of a weird day, but, but, but here's what it actually means. The reason why those of you who find your life will eventually lose it is that when you find life, you will do everything to keep it. Man, you'll do everything to keep the life that you found. The moment you find that life, you're going to make sure that you protect that life with every single possible possibility in your life that you have. You will control your marriage. You control your kids. You will control your work. You will control your friendships. You will try and control all your circumstances, and you will even, on a weird day, try and control God. You might go, no, Siv, there's no way you can control, control God. Yes, they, we try to control him by, by doing good deeds and thinking that because we've done right, he's going to put us on his IOU list. That somehow, because we, we came to church on Sunday, he can cancel out the fact that we beat our wives on a Monday. 
we, we try to find ways to control everything. Why? So we can protect the life that we have found. We want to keep, man, the life that we have found. And so what ends up happening, we begin to manipulate every single situation. Why? Because we want to make sure we keep this life that we have found. We, we begin to be filled with anxiety, hard to sleep. Why? Because we are trying to think of ways to make sure that we keep the life that we have found. And we even get filled with anger when someone tries to touch you in your studio because they don't understand how hard you've worked to keep the life that you have found. We lose relationships, we lose friendships, we lose marriages. Why? Because we're trying so hard to keep life that we have found. And when you do that, you will be so caught up in trying to keep your life that at some point you will turn around and try and find your life in the last place you placed it. And you realize you've lost it. You lost your life because you tried to keep it. Because you believed that you being God over your life was the key. And so the life that you find, you will lose. Here's what Jesus says. Whoever finds his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, whoever loses his life will find it. Why are you going to lose your life and when you lose your life, you actually find it. Here's the first reason. When you lose your life, when you lose something, you don't have the capability of keeping it. You can't control what you do not have. And so the only way to respond when you have made the conscious decision of losing your life is that you need to go find the one who keeps your life. Hear me, every nation. Because when you find the one who keeps your life, only then do you actually find life. And here's the key. When you finally find the one who keeps your life, don't ask him for your life back. When you find the one who keeps your life, you're so in awe of how wonderful they are and how powerful they keep your life that your only response is, can we make a trade? How about you keep my life and I keep holding on to you? Now hear me. This is what the Bible calls surrender. And to surrender is the only way, the only way, to overcome what I believe to be the greatest giant of them all, which is be in control. It is a giant that gives you the excuse to manipulate. The giant that allows you to believe that it's okay to respond in anger in every single situation, that where things don't go your way. It is the giant that keeps you filled with anxiety because you're trying to control. It is the giant that breaks so many friendships. But at the key, it is the giant that makes you believe that you are God. The only way you can overcome this giant is if you lose your life. And today, I want to give you three images of surrender in the Bible. And I'm hoping that by the end of today, that you 
out of these three images of surrender that it will help you know how to effectively lose your life so that you might find it. Three images of surrender I want to speak about. One is the potter and the clay. Two is the woman and the dragon. Three is the buyer and the field. I'm going to ask you to do something that I don't normally ask, and, and, and that is don't take notes today. I'm breaking all the rules. Don't take notes today. I just want you to listen today because I really believe that there is a deep work, not because of the message, but because of what God intends to do to you today. Is that okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this evening. Lord, I pray that as your word is preached, as your word is spoken, that you will give us the grace to not only hear your word, but hear it accurately and empower us to obey it. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. amen. I want to let you know that I'm actually finished the sermon. This is it. Like, honestly speaking, the sermon is done. You can actually go home if you need to. What I'm going to do now, I'm giving you snacks. That's all I'm going to do now. We, we're done. Because there's nothing I'm going to add to what I just spoke to you about now. Because if you get what I just said, that's it. You overcome this giant. And so we're going to look at a few, uh, uh, you know, KFC dunked wings. Um, and we're going to start with the potter and the clay in the book of Jeremiah 18, verse 1 to 6. If you have your Bibles, please turn there with me. Jeremiah 18, verse 1 to 6 says this, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping uh, from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, and he said, can, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O Israel. God brings Jeremiah into the potter's house to expose him to three very basic things. One, he, he wants to show Jeremiah what he, who he intends to be to the Israelites. That I as God, I want to be the potter. I want to be the one who shapes how Israel looks like, first thing. Secondly, he wants to show Jeremiah the wheel. Now, now the wheel is your life. And the, and the wheel goes fast. You cannot control how fast the wheel of your life goes. And every single time you try to control it, you mess things up, you, you mess up the image that God wants to create in you. The reality is God intends to let the speed of the wheel be the source that he uses to change you. You see, when the wheel stops spinning, he can't change you anymore. That's what they call death. <laughs> and for as long as you're alive, the wheel of your life will spin right now. 300 wheels are spinning. And the only thing you need to realize is as your life is spinning, he is forming you. Third thing he wants to show Jeremiah is that Israelites need to respond to him as clay. They need to make the conscious choice to respond to the potter as clay if they are going to get what the potter intends for them to have. 
The interesting part in this verse, it talks about how the clay was marred. That word marred means impure or imperfect or it had defects or one would say it was broken. And here it is in the hands of the potter and it's spinning. And here's what I want you to understand. Sometimes the dreams we have, the, 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 the hopes that we would become certain things is purely based on our brokenness. Lord, I want to be rich. Why? Because I grew up poor. That is not a bad thing to wish for, but I want you to know that you wished for it out of brokenness. Oh, Lord, I, I want to have a, a, a wonderful husband who cares for me. Why? Because the last one hated me. That's not a bad thing to ask for, but the problem is you are asking out of brokenness. And for as long as you ask out of brokenness, your highest receiving from the Lord will be based on your level of brokenness. So what does God have to do? He has to put you in the wheel for the, si for the simple reason of carving out the marred parts of your life so that you can be able to reimagine life from wholeness, so that you can dream from being whole. Instead of dreaming low, because you're dreaming from your hurts. You're dreaming from the last words that he said or she says. You're dreaming from that moment when there wasn't enough food on the table. That's where you're dreaming from. You're not dreaming from the fact that your soul, your heart, your life has been touched by the potter's hand. And so he touches it, puts him in the wheel, shapes him. All along, it is spinning. Regardless of how you feel in the wheel, if you would remain clay, you will be shaped by him. You, you see, it's like going to a doctor for a surgery, and you get there, and the doctor wants to do his work, or he wants to create the masterpiece with your liver. And while, you, while you're there, you refuse to sleep. For as long as you refuse to sleep, the surgeon can't do nothing with you. And you have to go under. You have to sleep. You have to be like clay, malleable in the potter's hand. If you are going to be shaped, changed, molded by him. Here's the key. It's in Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6. And it says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. I know that you have understanding, but when you're making a decision, don't just make it from your own understanding. Lean on something. Lean on trusting in Him. And in all your ways, submit all your ways to Him. And if you are willing to be a clay who brings all your ways, all your dreams before him, guess what he'll do? He'll actually shape the path of your dreams, shape the path of your ways. He will help them go down that path that is straight. It won't be crooked because of your brokenness, but it will be made straight because you have submitted to him and he's shaping it for you. So if you want to lose your life, you need to trust in the Lord. Trust Him. Don't just trust Him with some. Trust Him with everything. Only if you want to lose your life. Second point is this. Second image is that of the woman and the dragon. The woman and the dragon. I love this story. It's in Revelations 12, verse 1 to 5. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Revelations 12, verse 1 to 5. A great sign appeared in heaven a woman clothed with the sun, 
with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant. Amen, Lord, that's scary. And cried out in pain, and she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that, in, so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. This story, some of you might recognize it. It's, it's a prophetic story, but it's also looking backwards. It's, it's, it's the story of when Jesus came into the world through the Virgin Mary and how everyone was trying, all the rulers of the time were trying to take out his life. Even before he was born and, and even when he was born, they were trying to find ways to find this child who would become the ruler and take out his life. And so in Revelations 12, it's put in a, in a very end times or whatever kind of language to, 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 to allow the church to be reminded but also to look forward. And, in, and here's the part I want to speak about in the story. You have to give birth in front of dragons. You have no choice. You see, you cannot choose the circumstances in which you give birth to the promise God has given you. You have to give birth in front of dragons. You cannot choose that every single situation in your life must be okay for you to give birth. You see, in this moment, the story tells us that when this woman gave birth, the dragon stood in front of her waiting to devour the child, knowing fully well all her fears, knowing fully well all the terror coming from the dragon. She sat in front of the dragon and she gave birth. Here's the difference between those who try to control and those who surrender. Those who control want to try and control all their fears. They're trying to control all their troubles. But those who have surrendered, they're not focusing on their fears, even though their fears exist. What they're focused on is purpose. I want you to understand, and it's here in John 16, verse 33, Jesus says this kind of well to his disciples. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. In this city, you will have trouble. In your home, in your nation, you will have trouble. But take heart. Be courageous. That's what that word means. Because I have overcome the world. Philippians says something powerful. He says sometimes as Christians, we confuse life with God. That, that we think that just because life is happening to us, it means that God isn't. You see, God and life are not the same thing. Just because life is bad, it doesn't mean it is bad because God is bad to you. When life is bad, your response should be, thank you, Lord, for what you're going to form in me. Thank you. And help me in this situation. And here's the beautiful thing, is that when you are in trouble, when troubles come to your life, when life happens to you, take heart. Be brave, be courageous.
courageous, not because of what you know, but because of what he has done, because he has overcome the world. You see, if you're going to lose your life, you need to be courageous. I loved it when I saw this in the Bible because I've always been taught that surrender was passive and it isn't. It is so active. And courage is a very active part of surrender because courage means I will do what he said I must do no matter what happens because I've surrendered everything to him. Be courageous. Pastor Nicola uh, said I can share the story. Friday night, we were having uh, dinner with uh, her and Pastor Roger, which it's great to see you, Pastor Roger. Um, it was great. We had a steak and everything. I, I had chips. Some other people had salad, but, you know. Uh, it was great. Uh, about a year ago, maybe about maybe eight months or so ago, uh, Pastor Nicola had some serious nerve damage and some other things that were happening in her body. Um, and as a spiritual family we knew about it, and so we were praying. I, I, I didn't realize, at least my wife and I didn't realize the extent of the pain. And um, she had to take uh, meds, and she took the meds, and the meds started having an effect not only on her body, but mainly on her emotions, on her mind. And she said that she got to a point whereby she was scared to be left alone because she knew that all the thoughts in her mind wanted to give up her life, that she wanted to commit suicide. She had never had that before, and, and here she is in a bathtub thinking to herself, I could just end this by a quick slit of my wrist and just slide in the bathtub. They would go on holiday, and when they were on holiday, they, 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 they were by the beach, and she saw some rocks there on the beach, and she thought to herself, you know what, I could end this if I just threw myself here. And so this morning, I asked her, I said, so, so what did you get out of all of that? You know, and she, I love what she said to me. She said, you know, some of it is not complete yet. I'm still in process. But what I do know is that I am closer to God than I was before. Right? Here's what I want you to understand. Is that you have to give birth. Because when God gives you the word, whenever God gives you the word, that is a signal that your water is broken. You can't wait. When he gives you the word this morning that you need to love your wife like Christ loved the church, it doesn't matter what kind of food she did or didn't make last night. The water has broken. You better give birth before your dragons. Regardless, no matter what happens in the nation, no matter what anyone does, when he gave us the word, go ye therefore and make disciples, we have to give birth before dragons and not wait for good, pleasant moments to happen to us, to be what he has called us to be. You have to, you must give birth before dragons. It is what you were made to do, what you were made to do. Last point. The image of surrender, the third one, is the buyer and the field. This is in Matthew 14, verse 33. Jesus is sharing a parable to some followers. Here's what he says. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Now, a parable is, is not a true story. It's a, it's, it's a story said to make a point. So you can't really 
take apart the parable and, and, and place it to life situation, you have to go, what was this person trying to say to this parable? And you need to apply that. But here's why Jesus actually said this parable. In Jesus' day, if you were wealthy and you had a whole lot of money, there was no investec to save your money in. There was no capitec. There was no, those systems did not exist. So if you had extra cash and a whole lot of it, what you did, you, you, you went to the field that you owned and you carved out a part of the field and you hid your treasure in the field. Now, because of conquest and battles and wars, some people who owned a field that had treasure in it would end up dying, would end up being killed, and no one would know that they had hidden treasure in the field. And so some people would come around and, and begin to till the ground, and so people who were tilling the ground normally weren't people who were wealthy because they wouldn't be tilling the ground if they had owned their own fields. And so here is an individual who's working the ground in a particular field, and lo and behold, they find a treasure. When they find the treasure, they look at the treasure, they think of their life. Look at the treasure, think of their life. They go, man, this treasure is way more worth, is, is, with, uh, is worth way much more than my life, way much more than anything that I own. And so he joyfully leaves and, and hides the treasure and he goes home and he starts selling everything, selling kids, selling wives. I mean, he's selling everything he can sell, right? I'll edit that part out. You, know, you see, he sells everything to go and buy the one thing. Here's what I learned from this text. Surrender doesn't happen when you have nothing. Surrender actually happens when you have found everything. Oh, that's when it happens. This idea that you need to surrender only when your back is, is against the wall is an idea that we have made up as the world. But the kingdom looks at surrender that you surrender the moment you find everything. When you find the everything, it does not matter how much you have, you give it all away. And sometimes I think maybe we have allowed you to think that you need to surrender some things that's not true. You actually have to give up everything. And it doesn't make sense in the kingdom to give up some things. I know it makes sense for us, but when you look at the kingdom, the only way that one plus one equals eternal life is if your one is everything. Is everything. Whatever it is that you think is awesome, you have to give it up. Why? Because the treasure of him is worth way more than what you have. Way more than what you have. I love the way Paul puts it in Philippians. He says this. He says, but whatever were gains to me, whatever I thought was awesome, whatever I thought was absolutely amazing, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Here's what I love about this text. He did not say, I consider everything loss for the blessings that Christ will give. He considered everything loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Just knowing him. He, he's, not, he's not trying to say, man, I have found more, more stuff, uh, better stuff than the stuff that I have. No, no, no. I have realized that knowing him is better than owning everything. So I give up everything for one reason, to know him. That's all I'm giving it up for, to know him. If you're going to lose 
your life, you need to count it all as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Uh, my wife and I, when we first were married, I think we're still married. Was it? My wife and I were first married, uh, she would come home like every two months or so with, with a new hairstyle. Awesome. And I kid you not, like that first year when she came home, I was like, yo, you look, you look, you look amazing. Uh, have as many hairstyles as you want to have because you look fly. And it kind of felt unfair because my wife was looking beautiful, beautiful hair, beautiful mind. She's anointed. She's a leader. She's courageous. I mean, it felt like she brought everything to the marriage. And, and all I gave her was just the fact that I'm just sexy. That's all I just gave her. I'm still trying to figure out why you guys are laughing at this fact. Anyway. I got to speak it in faith. And uh, man, she would come up with those hairstyles. I'm like, man, you do as many as you want. Year four came along. We're on year 10 now. Year four came along, and she would come home with these different hairstyles. And I remember her coming in one time, and I, so how much, how much is this thing? <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, 400 rand for the braids. Okay. So is it coming out of your... <laughs> Where exactly so that we can, you know, we can balance, you know? That's why she started her own hair company. By year 10, I was like, yo, you, have, you better fix your life. <laughs> you better fix your life. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> You know, uh, I, I wonder sometimes um, how many of us are still happy with the field that we bought. I mean, I wonder. I mean, when you traded everything in and you said you wanted Christ, I wonder how many of you are, are still happy, are, are still looking at your field going, this was worth it. I wonder how many of you are trying to sneak back to find your old property and ask for it back. I said, man, I, I, it was nice, but man, I really want my old stuff back. I, I wonder how many of us in this room could honestly say, after however long you've been in the game, that you still think your field is the best thing that you could have bought. I have somehow you, have you lost that? Have you lost that? Because if you've lost that, you, you need to gain it. Otherwise, you'll find yourself giving up small parts of your field until you eventually give up the part with the treasure. I am asking you today, I'm pleading with you today, that you do whatever it takes to return back to your first love. There is no other place that you can be in that will allow the change that you're hoping for to happen in your soul. I understand that you've grown wiser. I understand you've grown smarter. I understand you've read more books than what you used to before. And you know more powerful people and they've promised you many powerful things. But if you lose your field, you lose your life. So find it. Treasure it. Find joy in it. Don't give it up for no man. And there's some of you 
who maybe have never known what it's like to actually buy the field that is greater than all fields. What you have to do today is purchase it. Right there in that moment, in the second right now, you need to do a quick calculation of all that you think is great in your life and realize it doesn't surpass him. And be content to let it go today and make a choice. Make a choice to purchase the field with the greatest treasure. Let's pray. Father, Lord, help us this evening to truly surrender to you. Help us, no matter where we are, where we come from, to make the decision to lose our lives again or to lose our lives for the very first time by trusting you, by being courageous, and by counting it all as loss for the sake of just knowing you. Help us. And Lord, I want to pray for those who bought the field and somehow they've tried to barter things back or maybe they've lost a sense of joy for the fact that they have this field. Lord, I pray that you would speak directly into their hearts today. Speak directly into our hearts today, Lord. Remind us of the first life. Remind us that you have never left. The treasure has never changed its place under our field. It has stayed where it always was and it is what it always has been. Lord, remind us. Remind us what you did on the cross. Remind us, Lord, what you continue to do as you're seated at the right hand of your Father. And may there be by grace a new flame that arises from hearts that have lost that flame tonight in Jesus' mighty name. Now, I want to pray for some of you. If you're here today and you have never bought that field, you do not know Jesus. You, you don't know what it's like to purchase the field that has the treasure, the greatest treasure of all, that God became man in Jesus. He lived the perfect life. He died a painful death. And on the third day, he rose with power, giving an opportunity for anyone who believes in his name, who believes in him to find eternal life. This is the treasure that God has given mankind. If you have never responded to that treasure, if you, if you have never said, I am giving my life today to Jesus to follow him. Or if you stepped away and you today are saying, I want to recommit my life to Jesus. If that is you, don't let this moment pass you by. If that is you, lift, lift up your hands with me for a moment. We want to stand with you. We want to pray with you. We want to support you. If that's you right now in this moment, just lift up your hands. Amen, sir. See that hand. Anyone here who's saying, that is me. Amen. See that hand. Anyone here who's saying, I want to give my life to him. I want to buy the field today. I want to respond to the gospel, to the message that is above all other messages. Anyone here? Amen, sir. I see you. Anyone else here who's saying, that is me. I want to give my life. Don't let this moment pass you by. Count whatever it is that you need to be count, counted in your life. And counted all as loss for him. Anyone else in this moment? Anyone else? Thank you, Lord. Every nation, can we stand? There's three individuals who've put up their hands. I want to ask if you can courageously... Uh,
come down here to the front. We want to pray for you, give you some tools. So if you put up your hand and you said you want to give your life to Christ, come on, come down here for me. We want to pray with you. We want to stand with you. Don't be embarrassed. We've got you. Yeah, come on. Woo! Come on, man. Hey, come on. Come on. Hey. Anyone else? Anyone else? Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to pray with you. We're going to pray with you as a family. I want you to know that in this prayer, and you know, there is no magic in this prayer. It is a commitment of the heart to the Father. And He promises, man, to, to, to come and bring that transformation. So in this moment, be determined as you pray this prayer of a day that you will never, ever forget that you are giving your life to Him. So let's pray together as a family. Lord Jesus, in this moment, I give my life to you. I counted all loss for knowing you. And in this moment, Lord, I confess with my mouth, I declare with my tongue, and I believe with my heart that you are Lord and Savior over my life. I thank you that I am saved. I thank you that I am set free. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen.